Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. Your question should be related around what can I do to do an incredible job? People don't like it when you talk only about yourself. They don't like it when you talk about in great detail about things, unless there's some sort of connection. Think it or you'll show it. You need to think positive thoughts. I was working with a candidate that was beyond exceptional. They had a, a PhD in electrical engineering from a very good school, I think like Caltech or MIT, those kind of things, and then had gone to a really good law school. So by really good, I, I don't know what it was, it was Harvard or something like that, or Duke, a really good law school, and gotten incredible grades and was working in a, in a law firm, a New York law firm in Silicon Valley, and, and had been there for several years and wanted to go to a firm where just, they wanted to go to a firm where they could just be not partner, but they, they just, where they wouldn't have to worry about making partner and they could just be an associate indefinitely or maybe counsel. And very interesting. So some top firms, like top firms are firms like O'Melveny and Latham and Gibson, but I don't know if it was one of those firms, but these firms were saying stuff like, is this person crazy? No, we're not going to hire anyone that's going to come in not wanting to be partner. Because, and so even though this candidate was like the white rhino of candidates, meaning the best possible qualifications imaginable, even with that, these law firms were saying, no way. So just think about that because some of these really good firms, and I'm just using Gibson Dunn as an example, but they can hire pretty much who they want. And they don't want to bring in people that are going to water down the motivation of the people that are there. So just think about if you were running a law firm, would you want to hire people that are going to go around talking to other people that they don't want to work as many hours? You've got, they've got this special deal that it's just better for them if they... You do not want that kind of thing. You want to have a culture where everyone is working hard and doing their best and where the partners are in control because they can control whether you make partner or not. And that improves the quality of work and the hours. So just think about the dynamics of when you start saying stuff like this in a law firm, they'll say to themselves, can we do better? And of course, a firm in Silicon Valley can do better than someone that's going to the best firms. Now, that person, of course, ultimately got jobs, but they weren't at these top, top firms because of the things they were saying. And so you just need to think about that. Even the best candidates, if you come in to a firm and you act like you're not committed, wow, that's game over. Most firms, now some firms, no, it's not, but a firm is a very good firm and very well run, it's game over. And other things people do is they say that they were fired for performance reasons, but because they didn't have enough work. And, and again, if you say something like that, it's going to be difficult for you. And the idea, of course, is that you were not giving work because you weren't doing a good job. A lot of people will talk about the need for free time. Sometimes they'll talk about these long vacations they took. And people will, I've heard people talk about hunting and having a head mounted in their apartment in downtown Chicago. You have to be very careful of this kind of stuff because saying things that could be make people, certain people mad, you have to be very careful about it. It's just it's not a necessarily a good idea. You have to, you don't want to take sides in debates of things. You don't want to say things that will upset people and alienate them. You don't want to talk about things that there's two sides to an issue. You just need to be very careful. Now, if somebody is on one side and they tell you that they're on that side and you're on the same side, you can agree with them and tell them maybe a little bit about you, but you have to be very careful with this kind of stuff. Now, there's another thing that people do. They're asked if they have any questions. And I'm going to help you with this particular one a lot. And when they ask if you have any questions, the right answer isn't 
no, I don't have any questions, but I hope you have told you enough about what's important to me, or no, I don't have any questions. Good questions to ask when you're asked things like that. And, and I do have some articles that I've done about that in the past, but good questions to ask are things like, if I started here a month from now, what would be really blow you away and make me seem like the absolute best person for this job? What would I need to do? Or what kind of goals should I set? And what is important to you and other attorneys in this firm? Like questions like that, that show someone's a go-getter and they want to do well based on what you think is much more important than I don't have any questions. So if people ask you if you have any questions, your questions should be about what could I do to exceed expectations? Is it work? How would I, what can I do to get more work? Is, would it be helpful if I do, you're a partner when you need me to start generating businesses or things I can do now? All those sorts of questions that show you're motivated are much more important than saying I don't have questions. You should, your questions should be related around what can I do to do an incredible job? What would blow you away? What would blow other partners away? What would make me valuable? What would make me the best associate? Those sorts of questions, when they come, when you're asking them to partners, are really good because very few people ask those. That's all you need to do if you're asked that, by the way, and you will get more jobs. People don't like it when you talk only about yourself. They don't like it when you talk about in great detail about things, unless there's some sort of connection. There's what's called the 80-20 rule. You should have the other side should hopefully be talking if ideally 80% of the time you want your goal is to make that person feel very good about themselves and to trust you want to, and when people start talking about themselves they like themselves and when they like themselves then that's great but this is not your opportunity to talk a lot about yourself it's your opportunity to hopefully get the other person talking in a way that they're enthusiastic not just bland questions that would be like where do you see the corporate department in five years, things that are just, you get the people talking about themselves in good ways. Now, there's books you can read about this, which would be like Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. There's a lot of information out there about that. But again, you want to not, if you think you're doing a lot of talking and making your points, you're most cases, you're not. Most people, you need to look if they're interested in things you're talking about. And you can easily tell when someone's uninterested, because usually you'll start giving You'll start talking about something and then you'll start looking away. You won't make eye contact or they'll start looking away. They won't make eye contact or they'll look at their paper, they'll look at the, their computer screen or look down or say, wait a minute and stuff. And that's not what you want. And the people you're interviewing, it's your opportunity to make them feel important, like their job's really cool, that interesting, like all these sorts of things. These are basics of human nature. And, and so you need to think this way. Like, what can I do to really make this person like me? What can I do? You know, what is important to that? You can ask questions and, and you can use prepare questions and, but asking about what would make me a great performer? What kind of things should I try to learn about? Just things that show a go-getter attitude in someone that wants to do a good job. And there are all sorts of red flags, but you should really just realize what I keep saying is that when someone's interviewing you, they want to make sure you know, that they're not raising red flags, that they're not taking sides on issues, that they appear enthusiastic, that they appear well-received at their last employer, that they have good reasons for moving and not and making sure that you're doing that. Sometimes you'll come out of a second interview that went really well, and you may not feel like you did that great of a job because you may not be really enthusiastic and because you haven't talked about yourself very much. Sometimes those are the absolute best interviews. As long as you're driving home, that you want to work hard, that the job's important to you, 
that you're humble, that you're going to do all the things or try to do and learn and do all the things that are expected of you, you're going to do well. There is a whole kind of psychology of associates in law firms too. Then I just want to make sure that you understand this. There's a whole psychology of associates in law firms that kind of, they, they're, they're, it's us against them. Like it's us, it's associates against the partners, the workers against the owners or the associates against the system. And these people will go on to different sites and they'll blog about it, write about it and, and have the secret thing where they think that way. And in that thought process, if you think that way, like us against the, we're the resistance, the law firm, we're the resistance against power, we're, we're workers, we're trying to get as much money as possible. This is maybe a way that you can think and you can certainly do that if you want. But a law firm is a different type of employer. It's not something where attorneys are unionized and where they're always going to be workers and they're never, I mean, you're trying out, especially as an associate, uh, to be a partner. And that's what you're, and so people that want to be partners have to support the partnership. You can't be us against them. You, that's the wrong psychology, 100%. If a law firm picks up on it, you're not going to get a job. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. Other things that you should be doing in interviews are, and if you're a partner as well, same thing, not me against the partners, but me doing whatever it takes to support the partnership. So any interview you go on, especially in law firms are not normal interviews. You are essentially interviewing someone that could potentially be a partner or a partner that's going to be a partner. And anything you do on those interviews, if you don't do things properly, it could dramatically, it could hurt you. And again, you're trying to be someone's partner. You're not us against them. You're not a union. You're again, this stuff is extremely important in the job search because again, not a normal employer. You can do that and you can be us against them if you're unionizing in some sort of company or if you're working at a place that where you stand. But again, nothing could be worse than doing that. Your audience or all the audience needs to do is they need to have work done with as few, few problems as, as possible. So again, army going off to war, everyone in the army having all sorts of uh, red flags and issues, preventing them from being a cohesive unit. Everybody having individual personalities that aren't conducive to groups and groups doing well wouldn't work. And it's the same thing in law firms. Law fir- Armies are very interesting too, by the way. And, and I see military resumes all the time. They're very interesting. But typically, those resumes of people in the military will basically discuss how they worked with other people and went the chain of command. And, and But anywhere in the world, if you're working in an army, there's going to be chains of command and they're expected you're expected to do what you're told. You're not expected to question it. And this is what's necessary to run an army. You can't have an army where every single person has opinions about how things should be done and does things in a different way and talks negatively about the army, negative about the supervisors, negative about the objectives. And no, this is not, you need to think that way. What would you say if you were interviewing with a group of people um, that's like this? And I'm not telling you to do that, but you have to think about it. Like what's going to be important to them? And so Law firms also need to be homogenous. They need people that are going to bill hours 
get things done and not question the system. And that just means if you have all these red flags that are, make it look like you may not be committed, that you know, you're too independent and stuff, they're not going to like it. And some people have more red flags than others. But one red flag that everyone has is that you're leaving another firm. So this is really the most important red flag, meaning you're leaving a law firm, hopefully you're employed, to go work in another law firm. And so what does that mean? It's essential that if this question's asked, which it isn't always asked, but usually for a recruiter, recruiters are usually asked this question when the law firm wants to know. So the law firm wants to know why the person is leaving and they want to know that. So we typically try to help people frame that when they're leaving, but the law firm really wants to know that. And, and what they need to understand is they want to believe that if you go to a new employer, you're going to be able to commit and you're not going to leave that employer and will make that employer or do anything that's going to make that employer want to leave. There's a statistic that, and this is so important, but I want to really make sure you understand this because this is one of the most important things of any lateral job search when you're looking for a job. So if you are an attorney and you're working in a market like Chicago, as an example, and you're originally from Tallahassee, Florida, just as an example, I don't and you want to relocate from Chicago to Tallahassee, Florida, and you apply to 25 firms in Tallahassee, and you apply to 25 firms in Chicago, if you grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, and you have a family there, and you say, it's time for me to move back, I want a lower cost of living, and I want to, I want to raise my kids there, I'm from there, or I don't know, my parents are there, whatever you need to say, something like that, you are much more likely to get interviews in Tallahassee, Florida, than you are to get interviews in Chicago, because law firms have no reason in Tallahassee, Florida, to question why you may be leaving. They just believe you're going home. It's not about the quality of your work. It's not about your ability, inability to get along with people. It's not about your inability to commit. It's just that you took a job in a big city and now you're relocating into a smaller one. And so the worst thing you can do is give employers the impression that you're not going to be committed and leave them. So if you're relocating markets within a market, meaning you're in one market and relocating to the other, that's the biggest question that they're going to have. And so you need to understand, you need, you need to make law firms understand, like, why are you leaving? What, how does this benefit us that you've decided to leave? Is this, are there any red flags of you moving? What is, what's going on? Like, why are you leaving? Imagine if you went out on a date with someone and, and they talked about all these nonsensical reasons for breaking up with past partners and started bringing up all sorts of reasons that didn't make any sense. I remember once that I, it was very funny. I went on a date with this person and, uh, and she was divorced. I'm like, why did you get divorced? And she's like, oh, my ex-husband was a binge eater. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, I come home and you would eaten like two ice creams and uh, Cheetos. And I was like, that's crazy. Like you do divorce because someone, that's of course my thoughts. So, you know, again, what if people that you went out with said, I'm currently in a happy relationship, but it's getting boring. I want to see what else is out there. I like my current girlfriend, but she's not making enough money. I don't want to be someone earning more. I hate spending time with the parents. All these sorts of things would be red flags. And for some people, it wouldn't matter. But for a lot, it would. And I hate spending time with my boyfriend's parents and broke up with him because he can constantly want to spend holidays with his parents and made me go long. Talking about Democrats versus Republicans or concerned that some people are saying bad things about someone. And you probably would not like someone that was doing these sorts of things. And I'm just saying things that are red flags. And, you know, I never want to have children or incredibly passionate about green energy, all these sorts of things could potentially harm you. And I'm not ready to settle down. I, need, I have some ground rules. 
and, and just different things that are going to show that you're not committed. And I use this dating analogy because it's something that you have control over making these decisions. So if people uh, are saying sorts of things that are turning you off, you have to put yourself in the shoes of an employer and the things you may be saying that turn them off. And there's all sorts of concerns that you may have about an employer. It could be their reputation. It could be their clients. It could be their salary. It could be whatever. But you don't want to make that an issue when you're interviewing right away because it, it can hurt you. And, and so you need to think about how would you do things in, in an interview as, as well that are turning people off. And you need to make sure that if you're investing in someone, like an employer is going to, that investment is going to be well-served and it will frankly be worth more over time as that person learns the work and they commit more and all that sort of stuff. So just think again, would you want to go out on dates with someone and commit to someone that seems like they're not going to stick around? So the whole idea of commitment, you need to go into an interview, not thinking that you're looking for reasons to work or not work there. You need to go into it acting like you're a good match and will commit. And you need to say the right things. People understand this instinctively many times when they're in dating. Someone will go out and say, oh, I, yeah, I really love football, but doesn't because they know that's important to the person. Or I really, I'd like to do this or that. And, and sometimes they'll do that just to make someone like them. The same thing needs to happen in your law firm interviews. You have to get the job. And that's, again, I'm not trying to tell you to do anything unethical, but what I'm telling you is you need to position yourself. In the, this is a competitive situation. You're competing with other people to get the same job. You want to be able to rely on people and believe that they're going to be there, that they're not going to quit and you're going to have to hire someone else or they're going to be problems. They need to believe that you're someone that this is the right atmosphere for you. And because if you don't convince people of that, they're going to know that you're only likely to stay for a short time and that's it. So I look at resumes all day, not all day, but every day I look at resumes, several per day. And what I see is a lot of people will move jobs every two years or they will or every year and a half or every three years or every four years. And so the idea with that is at some point people start moving. They just something built in or they don't, they can't stick around. And that can hurt the morale of the firm. And it can also hurt the productivity because once you check out emotionally of a firm, your work quality suffers, your hours suffer, and you don't care. And and law firms hate that. That's one reason I think that there's such an emphasis in large law firms on summer programs or and bringing in young people and, and people that are enthusiastic. And then, and then as people get more senior and then making it harder to stay there unless you have business. And I don't know, but you need to remember in a second round interview that the most important thing is really to focus on what do I need to say and how do I need to appear to make people like me? You have to be able to be an actor and you have to be able to make the people feel comfortable and you have to make them think you're going to stick around and like you have a serious interest in them and can help them and soliciting the right types of information. You don't ask questions about what are the salaries? When can I take a vacation? Are there, what do you think about this negative news story? You ask questions that make people feel good and you don't act like there's anything wrong with that person. You need to be able to sell yourself or anything wrong with that firm. And, um, and so you avoid uh, red flags altogether. And uh, people never do this in first round interviews, but for some reason, they start doing this when there's more contact and people are spending more time with you. They start doing that and it can really hurt your your chances. So I'll just talk about a couple of few things and then we'll go to questions. But 
One of the things you also need to understand is a lunch interview. Law firm lunch opportunities are great opportunities to blow it. Not all law firms go on lunches, but a lot of them do. And oftentimes you go with associates and no partners, which is very smart. And the attorneys interviewing you will, lunch will often make, put their guard down if you're interviewing because you think that you're interviewing people that are also associates and that are the same age. And that you'll start talking about all sorts of personal things you should not. Your interviews with associates or your lunches with associates are arguably even more important than lunch, than the interviews with partners, because these lunch interviews are really where they're trying to get you to lower your guard and to see what kind of person you'd be like to work with. And then where they're looking for you to say things that, especially if you're competitive with them, that would undermine candidacy so you don't get hired. Sometimes there's people that are doing these lunch interviews that really just are afraid. They don't want the law firm to hire anybody because they're threatened by it. You really want to be very careful in lunch interviews where people are, if, some, if people you're talking with say they want to go in-house, you don't say you want to do the same. They start gossiping about their firm. You don't want to solicit more gossip. You just want to be very nice. And you don't want to talk about your political points of view. You don't want to talk about things that could make others uncomfortable. You want to be very, very careful. These lunch interviews are not like interviews with friends. These are real interviews. And, and there's a lot going on because the law firm, when they do the in-office interviews, is doing so from the position of the, there's a lot of formality. But these lunch interviews, um, you, you need to think of it's like going out with a bunch of spies because they're going to report anything wrong about you that they possibly can on evaluation forms. And so you need to be very careful. Uh, you don't, shouldn't say anything to raise red flags at your lunch and you don't know what they're even looking for. So the casual atmosphere should never fool you. It's a deadly serious thing. It's deadly serious because if you order something that's like the very expensive on the menu, that's serious. If you if you order, if people are having drinks, which doesn't happen really much anymore, but it used to, and you have more than one, that, that can also lead to a lot of trouble. So these interviews are very serious and you need to be on your best behavior. You need to really be pleasant. If you're talking about personal things, they need to seem harmless and fun, but not sides of a political debate or anything. You just need to really come across as a likable person. And I can't really tell you everything there is to do this because it's something that's unique to you. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. I will tell you a couple dynamics that happen at lunch interviews. If you're going out with associates that are your age or your class year, that they're taking you out with, they do want people that they can be friends with that don't seem threatening in terms of someone that's going to work really hard and work more hours and make them look bad or take away their partnership prospects. So you need to think that's important that way. If you go out with only partners, then it's the opposite. You should be talking in terms of 
how hard you could work and how enthusiastic you are. They'll like that. If you're going out with partners and associates, the partners are usually going to be very deferential to the partner or the associates of the partner. The partner will tend to ask the most questions and that it's going to be more of a formal interview than even the in-office interview. So those are and important as well. So why attorneys don't succeed and that do well in first round interviews and second round interviews? It's because I think in a screening interview, you really want to, you have a short period of time to try out 25 minutes, 30 minutes, or maybe two interviews to move things to the next step. You're not taking anything for granted. You don't know if they like you yet. You don't know. You generally do not have to bring up salaries. You don't have to bring up hours. This is just a quick look-see. You're not bringing up personal stuff because there's not enough time. You're not bringing up really past employment experiences too much. Many times they won't even ask about your reason for leaving or anything. They'll just they'll interview and that's it. They're not opening up enough to take political sides or other things to make people uncomfortable. And they're also not taking it for granted that they're going to get a second round interview. They're trying much harder than they would in a in, in most than they they're on. And you only have 25 minutes or so to be on. And you're able to be excited and talk about the firm. You haven't spoken about the firm, really researched the firm in a lot of detail many times yet. So you haven't formed any negative impressions. There's a story that, and I'll just bring it up real quickly. I have a relative who's in the CIA. Well, it's just my dad, but it doesn't really matter. But and he was at a he was talking to one of his handlers once and he was saying some negative things about someone that he was supposed to get information from. And this was like his boss. And he said to him, Don't think it, otherwise you'll show it. So think about that. Don't think negative thoughts about someone you're interviewing with or the firm, because if you do, they'll pick up on it. I don't know how things work. People, who knows how information, and they can read your body language. They can read the questions if you're thinking negatively about them and they'll pick up on it. So don't think it or you'll show it. You need to think positive thoughts. And then people are very good at first, first round interviews because they're able to frame their experience. Uh, they can't go into a lot of detail. They'll often speak positively about their past employers. They'll really try to very quickly connect with their interviewers. And they'll often dress up for their first round interviews and not let their guard down because there's not enough time. Their questions are too superficial. They act like team players and they're very careful to maintain a distance like they're working at this firm, but you know, they're, they're not working at the firm, yet they're completely aware that outsiders are trying to get jobs there. They do all these things. They, they're more formal, they're enthusiastic, they're, you know, and, and it's the exact reason people get are able to get second round interviews. That's why I think a lot of times people do much better. And the final one is attorneys are not rigorously, and the law firm isn't rigorously examining you at this point. They're just asking surface questions. So people tend to do much better when things are on the surface, rather than when they start probing. And uh, there's an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal recently, where employers are, and this is not in the legal space, but where they're starting to interview people like nine or 10 times. And bringing them back because it's much easier to do well once than it is twice or three or four or five times. And so with the law firm, they typically do not interview people nine times, but they're still the second round interviews. Uh, they're really trying to learn a lot. And, and so you need to be very careful. Honestly, I wish this was a much longer webinar. I'm going to do a lot of questions, hopefully after this, and I'll give the conclusions. But this is a final point is a very important topic. And this is a exam, something that a professor once told me that it was very interesting, but in my grades don't matter. But when I was in college, I really wanted to get all A's and it just seemed really important. And, and it was hard to get all A's. And back when I was in college, the average grade point in my school was like a 2.3 or 2.7 or something. It was really competitive and to get good grades and they had a low grading curve. And 
And, and what this professor said was to get an exam or to write an exam that's an A or to write a paper that's an A, you really need to take a look at and start figuring out how to criticize. So you have to criticize conclusions, you have to criticize the language, the punctuation, and you have to really figure out, and then you have to make sure that the logic works and things. And so with an A paper or an A exam, there's not a, you, there's nothing you can write in red because everything is thought out and, and presented really well. Whereas you get into the B exam, you start getting into more red space or red marks and then the C and D and, and to the point where nothing makes sense. And so my point to you is that's how interviewing and the second round interview is. You have to get to the point where there's not, no fault they can really find you. And where people aren't, if you were thinking about your interview and critiquing it, where there's not a lot of opportunity to start writing comments in red and things all over what you're saying, because it needs to make sense. And this is a difference, the same thing when someone, you know, who does well in interviews and does not. So someone who does not do well, typically starts to create issues that the firm needs to think about. And they start sending out these things and you start, instead of being this A person that you may have looked at, looked like after your screening interview where there wasn't as much time and as much depth, you start really starting to look like more like a B or a C candidate. You say things and do things that detract from not marking things up. It's very interesting too, by the way, when you look at a lot of the top firms and what do I mean by the top firms? Firms that are really the best and the top firms, those attorneys from those firms are often very boring. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just, they're just very flat and they work hard and, and they're, I don't know, but they're, but there's not a lot of things that you can criticize them other than maybe being boring. And because they're just very, they're focused in one direction. They don't, there's not a lot of things that they're doing that would make people uncomfortable. They're just very direct. And, and that's, you know, unfortunately, and one of the characteristics of people that tend to do the best in interviews. So if people in your own law school, that did well and got jobs of really big firms. Many times they may be the people that that frankly are not the most interesting, but they can but they're not sending out these check marks and to make themselves a B candidate as opposed to an A candidate. And so be very careful about things that you say. Be very careful, understand your audience, and then not being not making problems and not giving people reasons not to hire you. And then you need to understand that you're your own advocate. And you don't want to bring up and say things that are going to detract from the trier fact, which is the employer, from not hiring you. So you wouldn't, if you were representing a murderer or something, you don't bring up negative facts about them unless you're using those to your advantage. You don't, you de-emphasize things and you know what to talk about and you're careful. And, and a true advocate is going to, is very good at making a case, but minimizing the weaknesses to the maximum extent possible. And this is what people do when they do it and do poorly in a second round interview, they send out all these signals and do all these things that makes it look like they may not be the best candidate for the job. And because they raise red flags and the results are you're getting rejections and you're the person that when you take a class, I just think about it this way. When you take a class, any class in law school or college, high school, you automatically start out with an A, right? So your whatever you're doing makes you an A right off the bat. But it's the mistakes you make along the way that take away and make you an A minus or a B or a B plus or a C. And so you raising red flags, I call them red because they're no different than marking up a paper or an exam with red. This is what you're doing. And red flags are all over many people when they do second round interviews.
I'll take a quick break just for one or two minutes. And then when I come back, this is a live webinar. So we'll try to get, should be able to get through everyone's questions today. I apologize for a little bit long. I frankly, I would like to make this webinar a lot longer because I think there's a lot to cover. But if you understand this stuff, you will, it could change your life and you could start getting a lot more both first round and doing better in your first round, but also your second round interviews. And and very few people, by the way, take the time to learn this stuff because most people are, are very defensive and they think they know it. And honestly, just being exposed to this today should help you a lot. But yeah, back in a minute or two, and then I will take questions. And just in terms of questions, if you ask questions and you've logged in in your Zoom account or whatever, sometimes it, it shows your name in the question, but I won't show anybody's name. So you can ask confidential questions or anything that you want. And I won't, they're private. You can ask them about interviews or anything hopefully related to this or when course, you can ask other questions as well. All right, let's start with questions. Today, I'm going to do something kind of fun. I'm going to start with the questions first. Okay, so I recently had a second round interview. And now after this webinar, I feel like I would like to write a follow-up letter to clarify a few things. What did you suggest I do with that? How should I frame the clarification in this follow-up le- follow letter? I don't know that follow-up letters are really a good idea because what you're doing is you're just you're drawing attention to things that they might not even have um, paid attention to in the interview. So I talked about things to do, but at the same time, the, I don't know that following up can clarify things. Ultimately, the die is already cast in terms of whether or not you're going to be able to get a position or not based on whatever happened in that interview. So my, I don't know that following up with a question addressing those weaknesses is a good idea. Typically, if you said things that may have been unhelpful, you're better off just learning from that and maybe even writing down like what I did wrong, what I would do the next time, maybe for yourself. But sending the, sending something about a second round interview and telling people that there are mistakes you made and how you can clarify them isn't necessarily the, the best use of your time because you may actually be drawing attention to those things. But sometimes following up and just saying, I really enjoyed talking to you and appreciate it and think I would really work hard or this is exactly what I want, those sort of things. You can do that. There's a lot of pros and cons of uh, writing thank you letters. And and I have articles on BCG that are about that. Usually, not always, a thank you letter can do more harm than good. The reason simply being that when you do a thank you letter, you may say things that are wrong. You may make mistakes. You may, you may, people just make mistakes in them. So ultimately, I tell most people, not to do thank you letters, but it can, if you think things went well, it can get people's attention, but it's not something that you need to do that. And certainly following up is not a good idea. If you're going to emphasize your weaknesses, you just need to be careful. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com. 